Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his discussion of justice and injustice within the Pensees, it might at first appear by looking at certain passages that Blaise Pascal is essentially a relativist or at least a skeptic about our possibility of ever really knowing what's just or unjust. And he certainly sees something to that, but he's not committed to relativism or skepticism. Instead, it's a more complex matter that we can look into. And so, you know, where does this idea arise? In section 291, he says, in the letter on injustice can come the ridiculousness of the law that the elder gets all. My friend, you were born on this side of the mountain. It is therefore just that your elder brother gets everything. And then he follows up with another question. Why do you kill me? And this gets addressed in 294, where he goes into a little bit more depth about that. He says that, you know, we would have expected to see justice the same everywhere, set up, as he says, in all the states on earth and in all times, whereas we see neither justice nor injustice which does not change its nature with change of climate. And then he gives a few interesting examples. Three degrees of latitude reverse all jurisprudence. A meridian decides the truth. And he goes on and says, a strange justice that is bounded by a river. So when you cross a river from one country into another, justice changes or truth on one side of the Pyrenees, error on the other side. What's that supposed to mean? Well, you're going from France to Spain or from, you know, vice versa from, from Spain to France. And what's legal on one side isn't on the other side. So justice is, it seems rather, you know, dependent upon where you are. And it's not just by location. It's also by, as he points out, time. He's got this phrase in here, fundamental law. So that the laws that are actually the complete basis, right? Change after a few years of possession. So, you know, somebody comes along, takes over a country, they're going to leave their laws in place, but inevitably they change them to different laws. And, and we can see this all over the place, right? We can see this even here in a pretty unified country like the United States, where we have all of these state and local laws and you know, arguments about whether they're just or unjust and something that can be completely fair in one state and actually required is prohibited in another. Well, this is human condition problem, one that we see running throughout history. People don't just argue within the same commonwealth or community about what's right and wrong, just and unjust. They argue from place to place as well. And sometimes they even, Pascal doesn't talk about this, there's a grass is greener on the other side. We should be more like those people over there. And this is a, a really big problem, 
right? And so he goes on and he says, you know, you would expect, like he says, that the glory of true equity would have brought all nations under subjection and legislators would not have taken as their model the fancies and caprice of Persians and Germans instead of this unchanging justice. Is there some sort of standard of unchanging justice out there? Well, this is an idea that's been around for a very long time. You know, maybe there should be natural laws, as he says, that would be common to every country. But then he asks, do we find anything like that? Is there anything that we can point to as a norm that is acknowledged by every single civilization, culture, country that we come across? And the answer is no. He goes on and he says, theft, incest, infanticide, parasite, killing your father, right? These have all had a place among virtuous actions. So we make exceptions for all of these. And it's interesting, you know, that he brings up the Persians and the Germans because the Germans were sometimes taken, the ancient Germans, as, you know, a good example of how things are done differently among those barbarous peoples, right? So, you know, there's good reason to think that there aren't any absolutely universal norms. And he says, doubtless there are natural laws. However, and here's where he might be viewed as a skeptic, Good reason, bon raison, uh, once corrupted, corrupted all of these. So we can't even rely upon our faculty of reason as those who often appeal to natural law will say that we can. We just look at our inclinations and kind of think about it a bit. And it comes clear to us that there are precepts of the natural law. And Pascal is saying the evidence doesn't actually show that. And human beings, reason is not this infallible oracle that some people take it to be. So that is a problem. And what's the result of this? Different people, different peoples, if we're using people in a sort of collective term, uh, they have differing conceptions of what is actually going to be just and unjust. So he says the result of this confusion is that people put forth different proposals. Maybe it's the authority of the legislator. We think about what the legislators intended and we try to put ourselves in their shoes and think about how this should work, right? Maybe it's uh, based on something more present, the interest of the sovereign, the rulers at the present time. And, you know, we see similar problems coming up in our own day between, you know, what the law says and what the legislators presumably had in mind, if they were actually on the right track, and what the present day circumstances and the people in power require in order to make things work. And then we have a third proposal, the present custom. And Pascal says, we should think about this one a little bit more. He says, nothing according to reason alone is just in itself. All changes with time. Custom creates the whole of equity. Why? For the simple reason that it is accepted. It is the mystical foundation of its authority. And now this raises a predicament. If we want to inquire into this, if we want to be rational human beings and think our way to what the essence of justice might actually be. This is what political philosophy is. It's not the only thing it's concerned with, but it's definitely one of the fundamental concerns of this discipline of political philosophy. If we go back to first principles, as we think we should, right? We, we're like, oh, we should 
go back to the origins of this, figure out the essence, and then everything is going to be great. What happens when we do this? We screw things up. Why? Because we erode power of custom. He says, nothing is so faulty as the laws which correct faults. He who obeys them because they're just obeys a justice which is imaginary and not the essence of law. It is quite self-contained. It is law and nothing more. Whoever carries it back, authority to first principles, destroys it, right? And he says, the art of opposition and revolution is to unsettle established customs, sounding them even to their source to point out want or lack, monk, of authority and justice. So he says, people will come along and say, we have to get back to the natural and fundamental laws of the state, which an unjust custom has abolished. And notice what he says about this. This is a game certain to result in loss for all. It's not going to give us what we want. It's actually going to make things bad for everybody. It's going to erode the power of custom in general. And he says, yet people readily lend their ear to such arguments. They shake off the yoke as soon as they recognize it. And the great profit by their ruin and by those of these curious investigators of accepted customs. And he says, there's a contrary mistake. Sometimes people think they can do justly everything, which is not without an example. So we human beings are just a hot mess when it comes to figuring out what it is that is genuinely just and unjust, essentially, naturally just and unjust. And then he says a couple other things that I think are very interesting and relevant here. He spends a lot of time talking about the interplay between justice and power and the imagination and how that works. And then he talks about Montaigne being wrong. Now, Montaigne is the person he quoted originally, truth on one side of the Pyrenees, falsity on the other. And he says that Montaigne is wrong. Why? He says custom should be followed only because it's custom, not because it's reasonable or just. This is Pascal saying that, but he also points out a problem. People follow custom for this sole reason that they think it is just. Otherwise, they wouldn't follow it any longer, although it were the custom because they will only submit to reason or justice. Custom without this, he says, would pass for tyranny. So, you know, there are cases where we were doing things one way and then, you know, we come to realize that there isn't really justice in the way that we're doing it. And then we're like, oh, you know, I get that we've been doing things this way for a long time, but we really need to change that because because it's, it's not right anymore. And now we've realized that. That's really awesome. And we've made some what we take to be moral progress. But if we think that a custom is actually right, we'll be in awe of it, you could say. And so he says, it would therefore be right to obey laws and customs because they're laws, but we should know that there is neither truth nor justice to introduce into them and that we know nothing of these and so must follow what is accepted. By this means, we would never depart from them, but people can't accept this doctrine. So Pascal is kind of saying, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. We don't really know enough about justice and truth to evaluate customs well, so really we should just follow them. But once you let that cat out of the bag, People don't want to follow the customs. Why the hell should we do this sort of thing that way? He says people cannot accept this. And as they believe that truth can be found and that it exists in law and custom, they believe them 
and take their antiquity as a proof of their truth, not simply of their authority apart from truth. Thus they obey laws, but they're liable to revolt when these are proved to be valueless. And this can be shown of all looked at from a certain aspect. So he's introducing a fundamental problematic here, isn't he? The last thing I wanted to bring up, well, what about, you know, actual political theory? He mentions, and this is in section 331, Plato and Aristotle. And, and you know, think about it. Who are among like the acknowledged greatest political theorists, at least of the ancient world? Those two guys, right? Plato writes the Republic. Pascal is actually going to talk about a later work, the laws, which is more extensive and actually much more prescriptive than the Republic, which is sketching out this ideal commonwealth. And then we've got Aristotle's politics, which is critical of both of those and adding some new dimensions into it. And these were, you know, viewed by a lot of people. This is a, this is a time when people are putting forth new political theories. Uh, they're still viewed as like, you got to grapple with these. So he says, we can only think of Plato and Aristotle in grand academic robes. They were honest people like others, laughing with their friends. And when they diverted themselves, when they engaged in some distraction with writing their laws and politics, they did it as an amusement. They weren't really making serious proposals here. Well, they were in a way, but only in a certain way. He says that part of their life was the least philosophic and the least serious why? Because the most philosophic was to live simply and quietly if they wrote on politics. Now, think about this line. If they wrote on politics, it was as if they were writing for a lunatic asylum. They were laying down rules for that. And if they presented the appearance of speaking on a great matter, it was because they knew that the madmen to whom they spoke thought that they were kings and emperors. They entered into their principles in order to make their madness as little harmful as possible. So Plato and Aristotle not actually putting forth proposals that we should take completely seriously that are going to give us the essence of justice and injustice, more just trying to limit the damage, limit the harm by providing certain distractions for the nutters in the asylum, the kings, the emperors, the magistrates, the archons, the rulers, the people running the show. So this is a rather pessimistic view on our capacity to attain and enact and even understand what is truly just. It's not saying that all of it's completely garbage. Pascal thinks that we do in fact have conceptions of justice and injustice. It's just that if we look at them closely, we're not going to find them holding up quite as well as we would have liked. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.